0: you're listening to the Primary Medicine podcast with Kevin and Dimitri bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Hi there. I'm Dr. Kevin Milo, one of the co-founders of Physician Empowerment and the Primary Medicine podcast. Today we want to bring you a brief piece from the Physician Empowerment side of things and our guest speaker today and I'm very excited to have him is Dr. Yatin Chada and Yatin is the founder of the Beyond MD podcast. This is a podcast focusing on financial education for Canadian physicians primarily, and it's relatively new, but it is truly phenomenal. If you have not listened to it, I really encourage you to to go out there and, and find it because the information is just great. The stories are just great. And he's got very, very strong guest speakers himself here. So again, I'm very honored to have Yatin with us today. Just a little bit of background about Yatin, he is a radiologist based out of North York General Hospital in Toronto. He's kind of lived all over and trained in different places in North America. He's an avid golfer and hockey player and an active father of two young boys. So Yatin brings a a great perspective here moving forward with today's podcast. What he wants to cover is, is some general financial lessons that he's learned over the years. And I think these are so, so powerful because very often, I think in finance, we, we try to approach it like medicine, where we, we really focus on a lot of the technical aspects and the procedural aspects to it. But we can't lose sight of the story behind, the, you know, what would cause somebody to get to where they are. But also, it's very powerful to hear that wisdom that's being shared. And I think we can recount our own stories in our professional lives about how we may have improved by hearing a little bit of wisdom from a colleague beyond just sort of the technical teaching or the knowledge teaching. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Yatin. Let you start. Share with us, Yatin, or tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hey, sure. Uh, first off, Kevin, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure just to connect with you, you know, after reading a little bit about physician empowerment and what you guys are trying to promote. Uh, I'm a big fan, and I think physician wellness is is critical, and I think, you know, a part of that for sure is, is financial wellness. So. A bit about myself. Uh, You know, I've been very fortunate to have worked and trained across North America. So I I grew up in Kingston, but uh, I did medical school in UBC, and and that was special because our graduating class actually we we wrapped things up in 2010. So we were dubbed the Olympic class, and you know, just to be there on the foot, I remember the golden goal just vividly. I'm an avid ice hockey fan, and and that was life experience in a whole different realm. After UBC, though, I decided to go back home to Kingston. So, I was doing my radiology residency for five years at Queen's. That was a, a big five years for me. You know, it's the time I, I met my wife. So, we were together for a few years and then got married. And then we had our first child in fifth year. And then, you know, to spice things up further, we decided, well, we've had enough of Ontario for now. And we decided to go to San Diego for a year. That's where I did my uh, musculoskeletal fellowship. That was an unbelievable year, but came back to Canada. First job was in Calgary, Alberta. And I think of all the years in my training and career, that's probably the one year where I learned things, where I learned the most, because I was transitioning to practice. I was with a great group, Mayfair Diagnostics, and really was exposed to what it takes to run a good practice. And then eventually, thinking big picture long-term, we decided Ontario was where we eventually want to be. Our families are here, so you know, here we are. But if I can just indulge you on kind of what I've learned through my journey, really... I think the one beautiful thing that we do in medicine, and I've learned this, is that medicine truly is a a universal language. You know, you can go anywhere, anywhere in the world, really. And as long as you are surrounded by the right people, motivated people, you can have a phenomenal training experience, you know, going outside of your bubble to different centers, exposes you to new ideas, innovative ideas, and really helps you to expand your social network. And I think part of what I learned hopping around for so many years across so many centers is that when it comes to finance and financial literacy, regardless of where I went, Kevin, you know, I found that healthcare professionals would often find financial topics to be quite daunting. And there wouldn't really be, you know, that that significant an understanding. And I tried to delve into this and, and try to think like, why is this the case? So when I'm trying to dissect it, you know, our day to day, the jobs that we do, we're all busy and, and the nature of our jobs, it's so far removed from finance. And, and furthermore, we've been training for many years and I just don't think that many of us had much exposure to it in training. And so, you know, as a result, long training, lack of exposure, you know, we start to earn a lot later than many of our professional peers and we're behind in our knowledge base. So I think for all those reasons, you know, we, we do tend to be a bit behind. And so that really was my motivation for, for launching um, the podcast. And and I often think that when you're exposed to finance, the topics at first can seem daunting, but if these topics are broken down into easy to understand, easy to grasp terms from one of your own, I think that that can go a long way. So I guess alongside you and your colleagues, I'm trying to become one of those voices that people over time can maybe enjoy listening to. So that was basically my, my motivation behind the, the podcast. And feel free at any time to you know kind of stop me, ask any more questions. Or if you want, I can delve into some of the things I've learned over time. So, you know, one of the things, and and this may sound, I've already touched on how I think we're a little bit behind, but that's the bad news. But the good news is, Kevin, you know, I have over the last two to three months, I've been reaching out to residents, trainees across the country just to get a sense of, is there a desire to learn about this information? And unanimously, yes, you know, many residents I've reached out to. They say that they wish there was more of this information in their curriculums. And what really excited me was a few residents in uh, southwestern Ontario, they told me that their programs are now starting to slowly introduce concepts like when to incorporate, why to incorporate, for example, what to look for when you're seeking an insurance policy, disability or life insurance. So these are fundamental things that we really need to have a good grasp on. So I'm happy to hear that it's starting to be covered. And I even actually received an email. From a medical student at the U of A. And he told me that in the pandemic, he started to become interested in investing. And this is when he started his investment journey. And just to hear that, Kevin, like was was very exciting for me, very refreshing, because I can tell you one of the mistakes I made, and I'll get into this in a bit, was I I started a little bit late. But you know, as the old adage goes, best time to start investing was was yesterday. So it's never too late to start. You just need to do it. So if I can just kind of outline a few lessons that I have learned. You know, this may sound a bit cliche, but I really advocate for just keeping things simple, especially when you are starting your career, especially in your first two, three years. And, you know, the the white coat investor, although an American source, I think he starts off his book talking about this, and I'm a big believer in it. Early on, when you start to earn, it can seem tempting after so many years of hard work and training to just start spending, go bigger, going for the sports car, going for the big home. But I think there's a lot of value in trying to live below your means in those early years as you establish yourself, just to go to a personal story. So we landed uh, the first job in Calgary, and we started renting. And quickly after that, we, we learned that we were going to be having our second child. And then immediately, you know, as we realized the family was getting bigger, we immediately decided that bigger was better in terms of home. So we were very quick to just ditch our three bedroom rental and we immediately jumped into the house hunt bought a house in calgary and that was that and you know when when i look back at that situation you know we could have made the rental work and if i could go back and do something different with the the savings that we had at that time i really think it would have been worthwhile to invest that money into the markets and you know obviously it's easier in retrospect to say that we could have done things differently and obviously 2016 It turned out to be a great time to invest. But I do think that when thinking long term, as I often do, I think putting that money away, setting it aside as an investment would have set us up better uh, for the long term in terms of our, our nest egg. So that's one thing I learned early on. Keep things simple. Live below your means. The next thing is really just protecting yourself. And and that's through insurance. So, and I think the first thing that people you know, often need to, to look at is, is something like disability insurance, because the truth is, the risk of getting disabled is is far greater than outright death. And you want to do whatever you can to protect your income. So that's where disability insurance comes into play.
0: I was just going to add one thing that we teach yeah. our, in our courses yeah. about insurance for doctors is that your costs go up when mm-hmm. you become disabled. Yes. Because if you become disabled, you may need additional healthcare, modifications to your home. You know, yep. you may want to do things that in- improve your quality of life, like have a bigger home or yep. vehicles or travel. Something akin to thinking about it like retirement. And so one thing we'd like to introduce in it, I'll, I'll let you get back to, to where yeah, you're No, to no this, problem. the concept of self-insurance that in uh-huh. addition to formal insurance policies you have for disability, primarily, that's the big yes. one, along with adequate term life is is the notion of self-insurance. So sources of income from investments that are independent of your clinical work is another key pillar. We talked about it in phys- at Physician Empowerment, but I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah.
1: No, no. And I, I'm glad you interjected there because self-insurance, I think that's uh, that's a really important concept. And I think one that can be overlooked so just with regards to insurance, I mean, disability insurance is a no brainer. And, and sometimes the topic can seem daunting. Some people don't know what questions to ask. But, you know, simply put, there are certain riders that you you want to look for. And for many people, if you inquire about riders like an own occupation rider, or a policy that basically adjusts with your income, those are important things to, to look into. And if you have independence, then, you know, some form of life insurance typically becomes quite important. So Remember to to protect yourself because if you're not doing that, then it really everything that we're doing, you know, you don't want that to, that to go to waste, right? So, after insurance, I think for many physicians, depending on income bracket, but I think most of us are somewhat fortunate that you know we have the ability to incorporate and benefit from incorporating. And really, the goal there is, and it's not about tax savings; it's about deferring tax and taking that money that you've you've deferred on tax and investing it and investing it through different avenues. And one thing I I like to tell people, and I'm obviously I'm, I don't claim to be the expert. And I tell everybody that I'm I'm learning on the go as well. But the corporation is a very useful tool in the sense that it offers flexibility. You know, later on in life, obviously you're going to be paying yourself from your corporation, but you can turn the tap on, tap off as you wish. It gives you more flexibility, and the corporation also allows you to pursue activities like real estate. For example, if you have a holding company on the side, it gives you just another avenue through which you can use those corporate dollars to broaden out and and expand your investment portfolio. So I tell people, if you're going to make the decision to incorporate, you know, there is a lot of good that can be done, but make sure you're constantly learning, figure out how to make the most of that, of that setup. So obviously we just touched on investing through deferment of tax, but you want to make sure that you're also investing in a tax efficient way. Over the last year, I've been researching more into this. So the way things are kind of set up right now, if you are investing through your corporation, the things that are treated more tax efficiently within a corporation are things like capital gains, and Canadian dividends. So those are probably the top two in terms of preferential tax treatment in a corporation. With with COVID and, and the landscape potentially changing, you know, some of that maybe up for debate. But for now, capital gains and Canadian dividends receive great treatment inside a corporation. uh, And just recognize that foreign dividends. So if you're investing into US stocks that pay a dividend, then because of withholding taxes on those dividends, those types of investments receive less preferential treatment inside a corporation. So if you're going to be holding things like that, it may be more worthwhile to put them into an RRSP. Now, Early on, when the portfolio was smaller, it doesn't amount to a lot of money. But over time, when your portfolio hits a certain level, we're not talking about chump change anymore. You're talking about potentially several thousands of dollars a year. The TFSA introduced at least a decade ago, but it's really a no brainer for anybody. So I I tell everybody to just max this out and make sure that is one of your top priorities. And now there are new things happening in the investment landscape. So there are now physician pensions available. Uh, This is one of the new things. There are obviously whole life uh, insurance policies available, and this isn't for everybody, but I do advise everybody to do your research because the more knowledge you have, the better apt you're going to be to be able to make the right decisions for yourself. We've touched on real estate and then and then private equity. Like I'm a big believer in using multiple baskets. I'm not an advocate for taking all your money, dumping it in a few stocks, and writing that out. I really believe in diversifying the portfolio, so I think it's worthwhile to look at all of these avenues. And in running the podcast, you know, perhaps I can just shed light on a few little pearls that I've learned. So obviously, as the rules regarding corporations have changed, you know, it's become a little bit more difficult to share income or split income with with family. But one way in which that does remain intact is using your after-tax non-corporate dollars in the form of a prescribed rate loan. So the prescribed rate is established essentially quarterly, and right now it's at an all-time low of 1%. So if you are maybe a little bit later in your career and you have you know, some extra savings on hand and you want to use that, you can loan that money to somebody in your family who's at a lower marginal tax rate. So you loan that money to a family member and they go ahead and invest that money. Well, then their investment gains are going to be taxed at that lower marginal rate. So it could be a very useful tool to divert money to family members. Also, there are new passive income rules. And, you know, one of the things that has come to light recently, you know, after I did talk with a few people, including Jamie Golembeck, but, you know, not not all provinces can opted to stick with these passive income rules. So Ontario was one of the provinces that, you know, opted out for at least a portion of it. So we now know that most places in Canada, if your passive investment income inside a corporation exceeds $50,000, then you are going to start to lose some of that small business deduction. But for for Ontario, it's, it's partially true, but not entirely true. So just something to keep in mind there. And then one of the pearls that I learned about was charitable gifting. So, you know, if you are charitably inclined and you want to make a donation, you can actually donate appreciated stock from your corporation to a charity willing to accept. And it ends up being a double or triple whammy. Basically, you get the gift receipt, the capital gains. Are going to be non-taxed and you get the same increase in your capital dividend account within the corporation. So it's just one of those pearls that I learned from talking to people, but just something to think about so that you're doing the most you can for yourself financially. But, you know, if I can maybe just shed light on a few take-home points, you're going to hear a lot of information out there. You know, you might hear something that a certain colleague is doing, you know, somebody may be focusing on a single avenue for their investment. But what I encourage people to do is just realize that finance, your your financial health is it's very individualized, you know, what's going to work for one individual is not going to work for all. And that's why I encourage people to read as much as they can. I know there's a lot to learn in medicine. But you know, I I really just challenge you to learn as much as you can about finance. Because once you get over the hump and start to grasp some of these principles, it, it starts to become a lot more enjoyable. And just realize that one shoe is not going to fit all. And the more knowledge you have, I mean, the the more power you have and the better equipped you're going to be to make the right decisions for yourself. I think if there's one lesson in finance I can relay, I think that would be it. That's essentially what I I wanted to relay to the audience. But Kevin, please feel free to to add in, chip in anywhere.
0: Listen, yeah, and I think that's absolutely phenomenal. There's a lot of wisdom there. And I couldn't agree more with your, your key points about how this is... Our own individualized journey when it comes to our financial lives, right? There are dynamics within our households. There's our whatever stage or age we are that is going to affect it. I certainly, definitely, your comments about the power of incorporation uh, certainly resonate with me because I feel very strongly that incorporation is what every physician should be doing. I feel very strongly that that the real power of incorporation is actually not your ability to take money out but your ability to keep money in and invest it in in some of the ways yeah. that Yatin has has outlined.
1: Please. Yeah, I mean Kevin, I think you just, you know, hit the nail on the head there. I mean, basically whatever you can defer and keep in the in the corporation, that's what you can really put to use through your different investment avenues. So, I'm a huge huge believer in that.
0: You know, another key thing that you you hit on Yatin is is that ability to restrain personal spending. I, I think it's important, not only in, in early years, but to to do our best throughout our career through training that personal spending because there are, and we teach this at the physician empowerment programs, but there are two big reasons to do that. Number one, there are huge tax implications. Mm-hmm. If you take money out of your corporation, pay personal tax on it, and then spend it. Because, you know, Ontario, for an example, for those of you that are in your final months of, of a calendar year, you know, you're going to be spending you're going to be paying 53.3% exactly. income tax on that. And then on top of it, if it's a consumer good, you're going to pay 13% HST. Yes. Versus if you kept that, let's say $50,000 that you wanted to use towards a new car and you kept that in your corporation and invested it, flash forward 20 years and that's an incredibly powerful opportunity cost.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Opportunity
0: benefit, depending on how you look at it. If you, if you decide to hold on to it and keep it in your corporation to invest. But the other side to it is just the day-to-day running of the cash flow of your household really depends on generating the success in that really depends on generating a robust surplus that you can invest continually to compound those returns. And and that really, the, the cornerstone of that is is um, some spending restraint in yeah. my opinion.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, the more we can curb the spending, I think the better off we're going to be long term. But you know, and if there's one more thing I can just shed a little bit of light on, you know, I, I've noticed, regardless of where I've worked, where I've trained, is that the discussion of finance, it's, it's often very limited in healthcare and medicine. And I've just noticed people tend not to talk about it. And looking at what we do, I, I know that most of us came into medicine to help to heal and I think that our day-to-day is so far removed from finance. And I think that's one of the reasons we don't talk about money. But when I think about it, when I look at our professional peers and other areas of work, everyone's talking about finance and and, and how to optimize it. So my belief, and I'm trying to spark more of this conversation and understanding, is that I, I think it's okay to talk about money, to talk about finance. You know, everyone else is doing it. And I'm not saying that you should go to work and be tracking the S&P 500 every minute of the day. I'm just talking about... Understanding these basic financial principles, engaging your colleagues in it—you can always bounce ideas off each other. But that concept of just getting the conversation going—I know that I'm sure you try to advocate, and I, I that's something I'm, I'm definitely trying to push for. And it's something I would love to see happen more, and, and even change in our specialty.
0: Yeah, my own personal view on that is: the more financially secure physicians come become, mm-hmm. the happier they are. Not having those pressures, worrying about billing, taxes, covering personal expenditures, not having those pressures sets us free to live our best lives. For sure. More sleep, more family time, better health habits, such as eating and exercise. But I'm confident that the end result of that, this dialogue about finance, is going to lead to better medicine. That those of us were able to pace ourselves a little bit in our our day-to-day work and focus more on patient care and less on billing and finance, because we are financially secure, are going to ultimately dramatically improve our healthcare system. And this allows us to get involved as well as leaders in a meaningful way, because we all know, any of us, myself included, who have, you know, part of a leadership position realize that there's a cost to us Mm -hmm. not billing under fee-for-service.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And for me, Kevin, it really boils down to the only way that I'm going to be able to look after other people to my full potential is if I'm looking after myself and making sure my needs are addressed. When it comes to overall physician wellness, for sure, financial wellness is, is a part of that package. So I, I, to- I totally agree.
0: Listen, yeah. And I I thought this was just phenomenal to get the chance to talk to you like this and to interview truly is an honor. For those of us that have listened to your podcast, uh, there's just an incredible, incredible depth of knowledge and wisdom there. And it's exciting to see because you're, you're, you know, you're still in your first five years of practice, but it'll be really something to watch to see as you go go along in the years.
1: Kevin, thank you for those kind words. For sure. I plan to keep the podcast going and and building on it. And like I've been telling everybody, I'm learning a lot with each episode, and I just hope that it's it's useful to the listeners out there. And I just want to thank you for having me on. It's been really nice to connect with you and and chat with you. I really appreciate it.
0: Listen, it was absolutely great. Thank you again, Yahan.
1: Awesome. Appreciate it, Kevin. My pleasure.